Welcome to Great Comedic Minds by Kara Robertson, a podcast where we meet some of the greatest comedic creators of our time and find out their real stories. From your favorite TV shows, movies, and live stand-up, we interview the storytellers and joke writers who have entertained us for years to find out exactly how and why they do it. And now, here's your host, Kara Robinson. I'm here with Dan Illich, an Australian comedian, writer, presenter, filmmaker, and director. He wrote Beaconsfield, the musical, but he wrote for the show Hungry Beast. He's head of the satirical content for digital content provider AJ Plus. He directed the Comedy Channel's satirical news program, The Mansion. In 2012, Daniel Litch created the podcast A Rational Fear, which was the winner of the Best Comedy Podcast 2021 Australian Podcast Awards. Congratulations on that award. That's pretty cool. Look, 2020 as well, but who's counting? Oh, who's counting? Sorry. Twice in a row. It's not twice in a row. Not bad. Yeah, Yours might, you know... Kara, yours might take the next one, take 2022. Yeah, I could. I'll put it in and we'll see uh, See what happens, see if we can <laughs> take over a rational fear and break your um, streak. Um, yeah, break my break my streak. Yes, before you get the hat trick. Um, were, you, were, you, uh, were you born in Sydney? Where, were you, where did you come from? Uh, I was born in Sydney, yeah. I was born in, um, in what is now a block of... High quality premium apartments in Darlinghurst. It's a uh, St Margaret's maternity hospital. It was in Darlinghurst in Sydney, and it, now it's just like this um, extremely wealthy part of town. And uh, yeah, yeah, well, the, the whole hospital has been converted to these rich apartments. Uh, oh, okay. And my good friend Andrew Denton lives next door. So whenever I go for coffee with Andrew Denton, I get to go and see where I was born. I see where it all began. Yeah. What sort of upbringing did you have? I had a pretty, uh, pretty easy upbringing. Um, no, no hardship or trauma involved. Largely, uh, very fun upbringing in the northwest suburbs of Sydney. Um, uh, very kind of suburban, kind of uh, upbringing. Yeah, my 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 parents um, sent us to good schools, and uh, I went to uni, and yeah, you know, I. I did a lot of musical theatre as a kid. All I wanted to do was get into comedy and, yeah, gradually kind of did all the things that 12-year-old Dan wanted to do. So I was pretty, you know, I'm pretty, pretty stoked with my 12-year-old self right now. I've, I've read that you started performing really early, like you were 13 and you were producing shows and things like that. Oh, yeah. So I did this, um, I did this stage show called The Cumberland Gang Show, which is a scout and guide show put on at the Parramatta Riverside theatres and it's like 150 kids on stage um singing and trying to dance and trying to do comedy for their parents and yeah I started doing that when I was like yeah 12 11 12 years old and then I, I became a production assistant when I was 14 and then that was like the happiest day of my life getting that phone call from the producer inviting me to join the production team I was like oh my god this is fantastic this is all I ever wanted to this is all I ever wanted to do um be a, be a producer on a scout and guide comedy review show um and yeah that's how I was ended up being on production team for many years and yeah I spent 11 years at Cumberland Gang Show and it wow. was great I, I learned a lot about um, performing and working in teams and, um, you know, trying to get the most out of people who weren't necessarily getting paid at all, but, you know, who were doing things for the love of it and trying to 
build a fun, safe environment for young people to prosper. Yeah, right. Um, that's really good. I'm glad you didn't pick yeah. there, though. I'm glad you kept going. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, you can't. I, I probably spent maybe uh, five years too many, five probably five years too long at Cumberland Gang Show. Um, but if I could get out of the suburbs to the city to see what actually I could do, then um, that's that. That took me a while to kind of um, leave the suburbs. Okay. Um, yep. But if I was, uh, if I had my time again, I'd probably, you know, cut those years short and try and do ATYP or um, something a bit more serious than, than the, the, the scout show, <laughs> Cumberland Gang Show in Parramatta Riverside. Seems to have worked out. So right, I've got so many great friends and so many great um, memories from that time, and m- the mentors that I've had through that that process are, are lifelong mentors who I've always relied on for advice. So they're they're great. And you went to Macquarie University. What did you do there? Uh, I drank a lot and ate a lot. I got really fat. I had a lot of wedges and um, sweet chili sauce. Uh, I did drama and dramac which is the Drama Society of Macquarie University. That's where I met a lot of my awesome colleagues of today, like um, Heath Franklin, Felicity Ward, James Pander, uh, all those all those Ronnie John's friends I kind of met at university. And I, while I was at Macquarie, I kind of met them through other unis as well. So I did a Bachelor of Media Arts and Cultural Studies. Wow, what a mouthful that was. And I met some of my best friends at uni, you know, and I'm still I'm still friends with them today. And um, uh, one of my best friends, um, I, you know, still speak with quite a lot. And you know, she lives in Sweden now. But, um, yeah, no, it's uh, it was a really fun time at uni, yeah, Macquarie Uni. Oh, that's good. That's awesome. Um, you were only 22 when you performed at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. Was that right, for the first time? 22 no i think i was a bit uh oh fuck yeah it may be yeah oh uh, yeah 2003 damn wow <laughs> yeah, that's right yeah that's true holy shit um yeah 2003 we did the beatification of newt burton and the great viagra robbery which was this sitcom that chris mcdonald wrote Sit- Chris McDonald, who now runs Buckstock, uh, Laughingstock Entertainment. Uh, he's like the founder of that. And so he wrote that. And he and Heath Franklin, um, James Pender and I, and uh, Becky Gage, Heath's wife, was in it as well. Um, uh, Jess Cook, with Jess Cook in it? So yeah, quite a few kind of faces in the comedy world <laughs> were part of that and yeah we did this sitcom we did at uni that chris we put on it as part of the what we call the godzilla season at macquarie university the, the self-device season at macquarie university we took it to melbourne um this rollicking sitcom <laughs> the stage set and everything down to melbourne uh and performed at the athenaeum theater for the first time um in 2003 we didn't know what we were doing like 22 23 trying to figure out like how do you tour a show to melbourne turns out we did the most difficult thing you could do which is tour a group show to melbourne that was a sitcom not stand up yeah <laughs> Uh, to put it on stage in the Athename too, an extremely expensive venue. <laughs> we made a lot of mistakes, um, but you know, back then, back in 2003, 2002, there weren't a lot of Sydney groups going to Melbourne. Uh, there wasn't a lot of Sydney stand-ups leaving Sydney to go to Melbourne to a comedy festival. We were kind of, we kind of paved the way for a whole bunch of 
Sydney acts to make their way down there in the in the preceding years so yeah it was it was really kind of fun like we came back from Melbourne battled and bruised and we're like we're gonna do it again we lost eight thousand dollars but let's do it again yeah what part of feel was it good we, halfway through the season, we were running out of money and Chris McDonald said he's going to cancel the rest of the season. And I said, no, no, we're not. Here's what we're going to do. I Apparently the story, I totally forgot this. Someone reminded me the other day. We're at Hungry Jack's downstairs in on Swanson Street, opposite the town hall. It doesn't exist anymore. And I stood on the table and said, no, here's what we're going to do. Everybody's going to sell tickets on the street. So we, um, yeah. uh, we comped the entire show, 150 seats, and divided all the comps out Back then, comps from Ticketmaster cost like 50 cents. Okay. Um, but now now they cost like $4. You have to buy, to buy a ticket from Ticketmaster for your own show. It costs $4. Yeah. Um, so we, we comped 150 tickets and divided them up amongst the cast and told them to hit the streets. And each everyone had to sell 15 tickets. Um, and for like 5 or 10 bucks, cash in hand. And first you'd ask 10, then you'd ask 5. So we started this new thing where we were like, Shortcutting, short circuiting people's uh, instincts to go to the box office to buy a ticket around the corner, but we were exchanging cash for tickets on the street rather than flyers handing out flyers. We were selling tickets, and boy, yeah. we pissed off a lot of people from Melbourne that day. Um, right. And then and, and for the last, for the so for the next week, we were like we were like shipping uh, tickets to the show. In our last show, um, it, 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 we were like started to sell out. You know, it was great because like we were actually forcing people to come to come to our six pm show, um, and on our last night there was a massive storm that came through uh, came through Melbourne and completely short circuited the bio box at the Athenaeum too, and all the all the all the lights went out and we couldn't actually operate the lighting rig, and we had this audience of 150 people in the audience but the lighting rig couldn't turn on uh and so i kind of asked the audience i said hey audience we need as many hands as possible to take our set downstairs to athenaeum one so the audience all grabbed a bit of set like uh these were huge sets it was like walls and doors it was like it was like a seinfeld kind of living room situation and people were like took like took this set and like marched downstairs walked onto the stage on the Athenaeum stage one where where Ross Noble was going to perform in about an hour and a half time and we performed the show for the last time in Melbourne on Ath one with 150 people in the audience <laughs> in downstairs in the stalls and it was the most fun like it was um totally wild to kind of have that experience did anything get stolen any and like people take anything with them uh no well hey everything they could have taken, yeah. taken the set because you know it was the last time we performed that show so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I just thought it'd be funny you turn up and like, oh, there's supposed to be a door here, but we relied on, you know, one C and they obviously didn't bring it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Thanks. Thanks, FJ46. Yeah. So then you went to, you worked on uh, the Ronnie John's half hour. Yes, that's right. Yeah. yeah. We, um, from from the beatification of Newt Burton and the Great Braggle Robbery, Chris McDonald had this great idea of doing like, the best of the university reviews. Um, so we started to pull a team together. We started to go, Chris McDonald and I started to go to every single university review in Sydney and look for great talent and great sketches and started to pick the best bits out of all the reviews from, from all of Sydney's universities. And then we held auditions, um, and invited people who we'd seen in reviews to come and audition. And we created something called the third degree, which was, uh, which was 
like the first kind of university review mishmash of all of the best Sydney university reviews. And that show was great. That had um, me, uh, Jordan Raskopoulos, uh, Heath Franklin, um, and Charlie Garber, and uh, somebody called Claudia O'Doherty as well, uh, and Nick Maddock. And it was just this great show. Becky Gage, I think, was in it as well. And Caroline Kaz was in it as well. I can't remember Kaz's last name. Um, so, yeah, it was this best of university review show. And we took, oh, Felicity Ward was in it. Yeah, as well. Yeah. So we took that show to Melbourne a couple of years in a row. And on the second time we took it to Melbourne, um, uh, Working Dog came saw it and they really liked it. And then Glenn Robbins came and saw it and he really liked it. And, and, um, uh, and so our producer got connected up with a TV producer in Sydney called Nick Murray, and he contacted Glenn, who also liked it. And then they kind of put the show together. They said, well, why don't we try to take this sketch show to 10, see if they're, they're up for it. And at that time, 10 was kind of in, a, in an experimental mode. And they were like, yeah, you know what, let's do it. So we had the talent, they had the team, and we were like 24 trying to figure out like how to make a sketch comedy show <laughs> and it, of course it never never happens right like this is like the rarest of opportunities um we did a pilot and then we we first of all we did like a, a writing workshop uh, over six weeks wrote a bunch of stuff and performed all these sketches for all the 10 channel 10 executives in a in a boat shed in, in so we we performed we performed all these sketches we'd written for these executives at a boat shed in Rush Cutters Bay. And it was, it was a great, it was a great time. Like that, that writing room was wild. A bunch of really great people, Jordan, um, uh, Felicity Ward again, uh, Tim Minchin was in that writing room. Um, yeah, it was just, just great. Nikos Andronicus, uh, Lee Namo from Access of Awesome was also in it. Uh, yeah, just oh, so much fun! Like so, so dumb. Like to get get this opportunity to do this was like unbelievable. Like it's something that's never really happened in my career ever since. And then uh, after after a six week writing period, Channel Ten really liked it. They made a pilot. We made a pilot. And then they ordered six episodes, and they ordered thirteen episodes. And we're like, all right, well, we're off to the races. So it was like uh, quite a astonishing thing that never ever happens. And we kept being told it was never going to happen. Like it never happens. Like this, how rare this, this occurrence was. Um, but I think when you're 23, you don't believe you're like, well, no, we're, we, we deserve it. We worked hard, <laughs> but it is fucking rare to get a TV show up like this. It's so rare. So, and the sketches were wild and crazy and, and absurd and satirical and uh of course now if they're on tv would all probably be cancelled but um yeah there was um yeah that no, was, was a very special time very stressful time like a baptism of fire for learning how to make a tv show and and the after the first season i had like uh, trauma from it because um it's difficult like it's so stressful to make a tv show and to try and find your voice on the run um and yeah it's very a real challenge yeah what parts were stressful? Was it writing it and not being sure what was going to land or just the process? Yep. And yeah, that stuff like writing and not sure it was going to land, interdynamics of the team that was hard. Um, trying to get stuff up and get screen time is always difficult. Um, there's a lot of you know anxiety when you're kind of operating in a team like that. 
Um, and I think, you know, people running it had never run a sketch comedy show before. So they kind of didn't really have the management capability of how to manage a creative team because they were our age too. So it was a, you know, everyone, there wasn't a, there, there was a, there was a, it wasn't quite the generosity of um, spirit of failure that, you know, I would, you know, run a team or something like that, but it was just a different, it was a very different kind of, it was just very hard. Like it was high stakes, you know, if you're 23 and you've got this TV show and you're trying to get sketches on air, man, everything, everything mattered. You know, we, we cared so much about everything and that, that takes a toll on your mental health for sure. Okay, yeah, definitely. I can imagine that would be a lot of pressure, especially so young. After that, uh, what about you? Did uh, Sydney Sketch Club Comedy Night Commerside, is that correct? Which you took to yeah. Melbourne? Yeah. Commerside, yeah. So yeah. after after Only John's, we just wanted to, I just wanted to get back into it. So, you know, like the show was over. And so I wanted to start a new sketch kind of comedy group um, that would mean that I could have some kind of control over it because I felt like in running John's, it was great, but it definitely didn't feel like I, I was kind of, I had much control over the destiny of, of how I thought things should run. Yeah. Um, so I created Commerside, which was this fortnightly show at the Roxbury hotel um, where the only rule was if you performed, you wrote. So uh, if you were on stage, you, you, were also writing something that was in the show that week as well. Okay. Um, so that, that was a, that was a uh, huge fun show to do every couple of weeks. It was great. Like Janice McGavin was in that one. Um, uh, uh, Michael Hing did a few. Um, Toby Trustlove did a regular character every, every week. Toby Trustlove's a big actor now on like telly. Uh, I remember out of that, I ended up directing a sketch with the other alternative show on the other night, the Full Body Contact No Love Tennis Team, the um, improv group that took the other alternative Sunday. And that had like Cale Bain, Susie Yusuf and Amanda Buckley and Toby as well. And we ended up directing a sketch uh, with a guest appearance by Chris Hemsworth, wow. you know, in the Roxbury Hotel. Yeah. <laughs> so I've directed Chris Hemsworth, no big deal, but like, he would remember it. <laughs> But like there was like a, it was like a bajillion years ago. It was like incredible. So yeah, no, it was a real, real special time. Like I was 25, 26, just trying to um, get the next sketch comedy thing going. So like I'd, I've been bitten by the bug and I'm like, well, I've got to start Comicide. Well, you know, we, we got to take Comicide down to Comedy Festival. And so we would use the fortnightly show to write endless amounts of sketches and then take the best ones down to um, Melbourne Comedy Festival. And we did that. We did that. I did that two, three years in a row. And then I quote unquote sold the rights to come aside to somebody else who then proceeded to run it into the ground. Oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> I so one of my great regrets. One of my great regrets. <laughs> so at this point you just, you're doing a lot of comedy. Did, did you ever think of like, I hate it. I want to do something else. Or were you just like, no, I'm going to keep doing comedy the whole time. I, I think I was kind of very much single track kind of focused okay. at the same time as doing comedy around 2005, 2006, I started to learn kind of understand my voice a little bit more as a comedian okay. and kind of 
break more into satire. Yeah. Um, and as a result, I got connected up with the folks at Get Up. This was, what, 2006, 2007. I made this parody of the Weather Bloody Hell Are You campaign back in 2006. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Lara Bingle ad. And I made a parody of it and it got, it was back when YouTube was brand new. It was like the first year YouTube was around and it got like a million hits on YouTube. And then I got a cease and desist letter from Gilbert and Tobin. Okay. Um, who were the, the letters, for, who were like the lawyers for Tourism Australia. Um, and I was like, oh man, this is great. This is like, this is better than television. Like I can, I can actually make something that people see and I can really annoy people. And that's yeah. really fun. <laughs> um, and as a, as a kid, like, thinking that that's really fun is like one thing. It's not a very mature point of view. I don't have a very nuanced idea of like how to use comedy and satire back then. Um, but I just thought, yeah, no, we could do more of this. And from that, I got paired up with Get Up. Um, Get Up came and had a com- conversation with me about, you know, other campaigns. Um, and so I started kind of playing in that activism world. So uh, to 20- 2006, I was coming home from America and I was seeing on a plane next to a bloke in jeans and sneakers and in a shaved head. And I thought I saw him on enough road and I leaned over and I said, excuse me. He said, yeah. I said, are you David Hicks's lawyer? He's like, yeah, sure am. There's like major Michael Murray, David Hicks's lawyer, David Hicks, the only Australian or one or two Australians in Guantanamo Bay at that point. Um, And so we, I kicked it off. I hit it off with this guy. um, And and we became friends and uh he's like well yeah you should make some comedy for us and i'm like okay cool that's a great idea and so i had this idea for like david hicks's cribs um so <laughs> so like david hicks walking around guantanamo bay pointing out <laughs> pointing out stuff <laughs> in guantanamo bay <laughs> um and it was really really funny and i sold it to get up and we made a campaign um, we'd get up and get up used it was like back then how they raised money back then was through like a one nine hundred number so they raised like a few thousand dollars of that um so it was wild like i kind of for the first time i kind of i could pair my comedy with um doing something you know and that was uh a big aha moment for me where i was like well maybe this is you know this is this could be the future of of how to get stuff done and like how to you know be active and how to kind of play in the public domain which i love so much and from that i made heaps of campaigns any kind of early campaigns for get up that were funny that were that was probably my hand um yeah so i would come up with an idea pitch it to get up and they'd say go make it and be like great (laughs) they'll give me budget to be stupid and then i'd go make these elaborate kind of sketches for online and then they would they would put them on the internet and raise money to run them on television and so that was a real interesting early kind of taste of how to kind of marry comedy satire and activism and and yeah that was really fun i think um if you go back to when you got your cease and desist letter was there any yeah. part of you that was like i should cease and desist or were you like nah like i i don't care or um, that's funny to me or no, I, I remember. Oh, it's so funny. Like I, I was laughing because the cease and desist letter was about the music. Um, first oh, really? of all, yeah. on the Tourism Australia website at the time, 
you could download the track. I said, download the music for this t- television commercial and play it, you know, play the MP3. So I downloaded it. But I emailed my friend Leonardo and I said, Leo, can you make me a song that sounds almost exactly the same as this? And he said, yeah, no problem. Um, and the only similarity between my word and my version of the song and their version of the song was the word nah. Um, so I did a la version, a do version and a whistle version. And I took the la version off the website and put those other versions up. And I said, dear Gilbert and Tobin, the only similarity between my song and your song is the word nah it's, other than that it's a completely different song so i put up a do version a whistle version and a crazy frog remix version um and i never heard from them again so yeah it was it was funny you know cease and desist letters i learned at the time uh, are just tools for bullying people into trying to do what you want they're not actual then you they have no there's no you don't have to be compelled by them at all so, okay yes yeah, yeah. oh i'm glad i'm glad you didn't stop um we'll move forward to you doing the the billboard campaign so what do um for people who don't know uh dan put a billboard up he crowdfunded it in new york times square the largest billboard running space to make a satirical ad that was going after um our government's climate change policy um so what gave you the idea to do that well i had been wanting to do um I've been to COP. I've been to the Conference of Parties, the Climate Change Conference. I've been to a COP in Paris, the the, big, the, the Paris Accord COP. Uh, and I thought it was fascinating. It's such an incredible thing. Like, you know, thousands of people come and sit in a conference room and argue over the placement of a comma or a colon or a wording or a, uh, they kind of, they kind of whittle down um, like 500 pages of documents down to like 15 pages to kind of come to this agreement. And it's just a fascinating process and there's there's a whole there's cop and then there's the circus around cop and then there's the circus in the city around the circus around cop so i wanted to go there and take my show to glasgow i wanted to take a rational fear to glasgow which is a stage show i do which is like a stupid comedy stage show where comedians come and talk about the world um and talk about climate change and so i wanted to go to glasgow to do shows there but unfortunately greg hunt um, forgot to order some email i uh, forgot to reply to some emails from pfizer and so we didn't have vaccines and so none of us were vac- vaccinated and uh i was uh, september 2021 i was sitting in my bedroom going god i really want to go to cop um this sucks uh oh, i'm just a comedian in my bedroom what can i do and i said well what i'm going to do is i'm going to buy a billboard in glasgow to make fun of or to embarrass um, the Australian government on their climate record. Um, and just to remind the rest of the world that Australians know our government is terrible when it comes to climate uh, and that we know uh, and that the government, the Australian government doesn't necessarily represent Australians. So I found this billboard. It was going to cost $12,000. Uh, I could put three bits of artwork on it. I made two bits of artwork myself. One which said, cuddle a koala before you make them extinct. The other which said, Australia, net zero by 2300. And it had a burning kangaroo on it. <laughs> and the third one I offered up to someone who wanted to pay $4,000 to pay for their pay for their own truthful billboard so um it's 6 30 a.m on the i think the 27th of september is when i launched it uh i hit go on the crowdfunder and then at 8 30 a.m i had twelve thousand oh, wow. dollars like in yeah. two hours i had twelve thousand yeah. dollars and then at the end of the day i had forty thousand dollars and the end of the next day i had eighty thousand dollars and i was like well this has told me two things that um one i people are really passionate about climate action and two 
I'm going to need more billboards and bigger billboards. And so <laughs> I decided to find the biggest billboard in the world in Times Square, which wraps around an entire city block. It's called the Godzilla billboard and it costs a hundred thousand dollars an hour. Um, but I did a sweet deal for about 20 grand for 10 minutes. <laughs> and, uh, and so for 10 minutes we ran artwork and I, I invited other comedians to write um, jokes for it. So I've got some jokes from um, uh, the chaser and um, Mark Humphreys. I stole one of his jokes from a sketch that I did, did with him. Um, and then I'm, I wrote a couple of jokes and then um, uh, the person who paid $4,000 for their billboard in Glasgow also got a billboard in Times Square. <laughs> um, and yeah, we invited like hundreds, hundreds of thousands, well, hundreds of Australians who I knew in face on Facebook who lived in New York to come down. So I had like 150 people RSVP to that event, which was great. People were taking photos of it and posting photos and uh, Russell Crowe even tweeted CNN, uh, Jake okay. Tapper. Uh, Jake Tapper said, uh, uh, Russell Crowe sent Jake Tapper a tweet saying, hey, Jake Tapper, have you seen this? And Jake Tapper replied, I had not. Thanks, Russell Crowe. Um, so the next day I was on Jake Tapper <laughs> on CNN talking about it. And it just turned into this the biggest, biggest like media event um, when it came to climate. Um, that, like they got brought brought all the world's attention on Australia and embarrassed the, embarrassed the prime minister. So much so that up until the time that we those billboards went up on on screen, so at nine forty five, I think on October second uh, or October twelve, nine forty five, uh, the prime minister wasn't going to go to Glasgow. Then by two pm, he held a press conference to say he was going to go to Glasgow. Yeah, so <laughs> so and and he said in his press conference, "Here's how I know that it was the billboards." He said in his press conference, no, we decided last night we we're going to go. We decided last night. So that means yeah. he saw the billboards and decided at 9.45. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, then we bought some more billboards in Glasgow um, uh, for the Prime Minister. I tried to buy some billboards in France to make fun of um, uh, the French deal going down, but they said the French um, billboard company said it was too political. You've acted, you've directed, you've produced, you've made all your own shows. What would be your biggest uh, bit of advice for people coming into the industry? Be nice to everyone okay. because you're going to have to work with everyone. It's a small industry. Uh, and yeah, go in. The, here's one of the mistakes I made when I was young. I was young and hungry and I often thought I was competing against lots of people, but in many respects you are particularly for, you know, and still am particularly on, you know, space like traditional media because there's such small windows of offerings for comedy folks, but there is, I'm believe in abundance now. Like there is, if you go in with an attitude of abundance, you find your audience no matter where they are. And a rational fear is a really good example of that. And I started that podcast 10 years ago and we only get, you know, 10,000 listeners an episode, but that's still, that's pretty good. Um, it's not like, you know, shameless where they, you know, get, you know, 400,000 or, or Abby Chatfield gets like a million or whatever, but it's, it's a really loyal, dedicated audience. And, you know, we, we put on a big 10 year show at the opera house on the weekend. And that, that's really fun. Like it's, it's really fun to kind of be, to build a community and to have people who love your comedy come and be part of it and participate in it in a major way so um yeah just if you have an attitude of abundance you'll always find an audience you'll always find um space to to make your your work 
So, and also work, um, you know, comedy is a muscle um, and I'm not particularly funny. I'm not particularly, I'm not a particularly good comedian. I think where I make up for it is in my work ethic. Like I, I think I work harder than a lot of other folks in comedy um, and that makes up for it. Genius comes, my genius comes from being prolific, not necessarily from being any good. <laughs> And you know, that, I think that's a fair criticism. <laughs> you know, <laughs> other 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 comedians will tell me, "Oh, Dan, you make so much stuff." Uh, and uh, I hear that. I hear what you're saying when you say that. It's okay. <laughs> Where can people? When's your next show? When can people see you or find your podcast? Please go to arationalfear.com. Pop in your email there, and I'll let you know when the next podcast drops and usually drops weekly and I'm about to take a couple of weeks off because I'm tired. Yeah. I've been doing the podcast for 10 years. I just, yeah. we just had an election. We just had an election. Yeah. We ran, we ran a big um, uh, shit posting content engine called it's not a race during the election. And that was a really fun thing to do um, and make fun of the coalition to clear space for the teal candidates. That was great fun. And also in comedy, try to support other people because that's such a great it's such a great thing to do we all need help and your generosity will be reciprocated so yeah always try to find somebody else um always have an eye on where you're going but also who's coming up behind you and lending them a hand too okay that's really good that's good advice be nice and help people good advice um, yeah strange strange is coming from a comedian <laughs> thank you so much for joining us i really appreciate your time it's a real honor to have you on the show uh and um, yeah, thank you. Good luck with your upcoming show. Thanks, Cara. Thanks for having me on your podcast. Like and subscribe. Thank you for joining us on a great episode of Great Comedic Minds. We'll be back next week, so be sure to tune in. Also, like, share, subscribe to the channel, and be sure to follow Cara Robertson on Instagram.